0: uh hello internet uh you are now experiencing technical difficulties on another table chatter episode so we have uh eric the game designer of brinkwood here to kind of chat about the game and you know about him and his uh history with rpgs and everything
1: indeed yeah glad to glad to be here uh this is eric of brinkwood fame
0: certainly awesome um right uh so i guess we'll get started with the the basic question which is how did you get into uh tabletop rpgs as a hobby
1: um let me see uh i kind of got into it uh a friend of mine was really into dungeons and dragons when i was growing up um but i couldn't afford any of the books uh so we kind of just made our own stuff up um and i kind of like started writing games pretty much from an early age because I couldn't actually afford the hundreds of dollars yeah. as like, you know, a sixth grader, uh middle schooler
2: or whatever it was. <laughs> it just kind of spiraled out of there since you're already into game design. hmm
0: <laughs> Nice. All right. Um, and so uh I guess how did that progress um I guess like into the uh the more recent times where we have our uh for the system when we were getting in the like uh Forks in the dark uh game system so I guess how did you uh interact with how did you uh, first come acro- across that and decide to mm-hmm. use it for uh, Brinkwood
1: So um back in the long ago days of Google+, Plus, um, I sort of, like, it was hard to exist on Google+, Plus and not occasionally hear about The Forge, um, and hear about John Harper, and stuff like that. Um, and it's funny, because uh, I had backed on Kickstarter uh, a game called Project Dark by Will Hindmarch. Um, and uh, I had backed that game because he was a designer on the Dragon Age role playing game which i really liked back then um and it was kind of styled similarly to Blades in the Dark after like you know Thief the Dark project and uh you know these kinds uh dishonored you know these kinds of like uh heist you know stealth games
0: uh, Grimy, like low fantasy, right? Exactly. games that are mostly focused on criminals knifing each other mm-hmm. in alleys.
1: Mm-hmm. And I'm still not sure if Project Dark ever came out. Um, oh. I haven't checked the Kickstarter in a while, but it was funny because, like, immediately after I backed that, uh, I saw uh, Blades in the Dark on Kickstarter. Uh, and I saw it and I was like, oh, well, I just I just got a game that's like just like this. You know, I just backed a game that's just like this. Do I really want to spend, you know, however much to essentially get the same game twice? Well, not the same game, obviously, but, you know, a very similar mm-hmm. game in a similar thematic space. Um, but a lot of people I kind of respected were talking about it. Um, so, yeah, I took the plunge. Uh, I backed it on Kickstarter. Um I also really liked that they gave you kind of like a playable uh, version of it before you backed it or like mm-hmm. shortly after you backed it so you could like actually play the game and see if you liked it. Um, and from the first time I played it, um, like the earliest version of Blades in the Dark that I could, I could tell that it was very janky, uh, but also that I really liked it and I really wanted to hack it. And like, mm-hmm. you know, I think like the very next thing I did was like I started making like t- and like you know little mechanics on doing things that i thought would improve the game um so it's a very hackable game uh it's a very hackable system uh it's one that does have its flaws has its strengths but um yeah that's kind of how i got into it
0: uh you and a lot of other people um (laughs) it's already a couple more than a more than a couple of games have uh already kind of released uh a couple of ver- their own versions of it. It's coming and villainy and, and <laughs> band of blades, with which band of blades I uh, just like from reading your your docu, just from reading your kind of pre edit and pre uh, layout notes for Brinkwood is kind of the one that reminds me the most of Brinkwood.
1: Yeah, definitely. Um,
0: yeah. Especially in that it's you have kind of a very concrete goal in the way that you choose your. Um, you're the main campaign adversary in kind of a similar mm-hmm. way. And by choosing that campaign adversary, you're also choosing what kind of themes you're going to want the game to focus on. Mm-hmm. So, yeah,
1: yeah. I, I was definitely really inspired by band of blades. Um, I thought, I thought it was such an elegant way. They did things of kind of like kind of bundling together, you mm-hmm. know, the themes, the enemies, the campaign itself. Um, and I, I really liked those ideas, so I I definitely tried to include those in Brinkwood.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, all right. Uh, and so I guess because I now my my mom has I convinced my mom to listen to these, so now I need to explain what these games are. Okay. Uh, so, <laughs> uh, yeah. So, uh, Blades in the Dark is kind of a a thief, thieves, and kind of grimy like the city that's kind of a mixture of London and Venice. Mm -hmm. Basically you do heists together and you basically try to like, right, right, rise up from a, a gang of a couple of just, you know, thieves and, uh, neat leg breakers into being a, a, you know, professional, uh, (laughs) crime syndicate. And there's different ways. So if you want to be like smugglers or assassins or spies or whatever, Mm-hmm. Um there's different ways to do that. Uh, Band of Blades is a uh a hack using of using the same rules as Blades in the Dark, where you're a army that is retreating from a losing battle uh to try to and they're trying to do a last stand a la like uh Helm's Deep in the, the second Lord of the Rings movie against a uh bad guy and their army. And you get to kind of pick what kind of bad guy out of like I guess three they have Mm -hmm. in the official in the official book, and by picking that that bad guy, you're also picking what kind of horrors, whether it be kind of a cult witchy horror or a kind of Frankenstein like body horror or just like horrific, uh, industrial kind of (laughs) like industrial fascism Mm -hmm. of the of the one that I can't remember his name. Um, and you do a similar thing in, in Brinkwood. So I guess then what is Brinkwood and how does Brinkwood kind of branch off from these the same kind of lineage of games?
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, so like the, the quick uh, tagline for Brinkwood uh, is it's Robin Hood versus vampires. Um, if that sells you on the game, like that's pretty much what it's going to be. Um, and basically it's a story where you're taking uh the role of this group of uh again you're you're kind of thieves and brigands, um but you're also uh very much in another sense revolutionaries uh and you're hiding out in the forest um and kind of plotting the downfall of the vampire overlords that rule the kingdom um, and it's the same similar thing of band of blades where you pick kind of the overall antagonist of your campaign, uh, whether it's going to be the Baron, who's kind of all about uh, consumption and greed and kind of gore and body horror, Um, the Countess, who's more about uh, kind of putting uh, a layer of guild on top of oppression uh, and is very much uh, a lot of um, kind of France- Uh, Just Uh, before the revolution in um, very uh, everything looks very nice uh, while it slowly kills you. mm -hmm. Uh, And finally the Duke, which is just, you know, pure industrial fascism.
0: Nice. Um, But you're also not uh, as you're not just like a a bunch of random uh, disgruntled revolutionaries either. You also, you have some, uh, magical assistance um in brinkwood. So could you kind of uh explain yeah. what that is in in the game?
1: Yeah, uh, so you um the way you kind of uh are able to go up against these forces uh is that you have assistance from uh these beings called the Fae, um who you have made pacts with and in these agreements with uh in order to use Uh, essentially these magical masks that let you take on aspects um, of the Fae themselves and use some of their magic uh, in your fight against uh, your common enemy being the vampires.
0: Yeah. Awesome. Like great game. Um, Great, great game idea. Uh, Again, I'm also a a big fan of kind of disempowered people uh, with gumption as nice mm-hmm. black agents this is one of my favorite RPGs, which is Jason Bournes versus Vampires. <laughs> right, exactly. Um yeah, so yeah. I was
1: yeah. I was heavily inspired by um, what's it called? The Pyramid? Is there like a special name for Oh the, like, conspira- the, oh. Yeah, yeah, the, the conspirator.
0: conspirator? Yeah, the conspiracy Yeah, Conspiramid's a great it's a great tool um, yeah. for planning out your big uh, sprawling vampire conspiracy. Mm-hmm. Though I guess it, in Brinkwood the the conspiracies conspiracies a lot. It's not it's not like a hidden conspiracy most of the time. It's just
1: yeah. It's um. It's kind of like I leave it as an open question for each group. Like how mm-hmm. much the vampires actually bother to hide the fact that they're vampires. Um, sure. Because they're at such a level of power that it no longer makes a difference. So it's kind of like you know night black knights black agents but everything went completely wrong you know uh, back in the medieval era sure
0: and yeah so you have um, in Brinkwood um, the vampires uh, don't just drink blood they also drink something called uh, blood sterling Mm -hmm. which is like a mixture of blood and silver that Mm -hmm. turns them into vampires and then that's also the main resource that they're extracting out of the uh, um, society uh, yeah the society that your characters are in Mm -hmm. as they um, yeah and then you uh, plot to kill them all because they're awful (laughs) Um.
1: yeah I mean the the, the one thing that comes up in playtest occasionally uh, is the idea that it's like it's almost not enough to like just kill the vampires, like yeah. you kill a vampire, you know, give it, give it a week, give it a month, there'll be someone else to replace them. So you've you've actually mm-hmm. got to kind of tear down the systems that keep them in power, and
0: yeah, and start put other things, things in up. place. Yeah. yeah, which is also a part of my other one of my other favorite games, Spire. Mm-hmm. Um, you gotta you you have to if you're gonna successfully. Pull off a revolution, you need to be. You can't just be murdering people. You gotta set up some uh, competing systems that are more equitable and and better than the the ones that you're fighting against.
2: Mm-hmm. Exactly right. Nice. It's another game that uh, is focusing on the punk aspect of the insert punk mm-hmm. genres, mm-hmm. which. Brinkwood is castle punk, as you've described it. Right, exactly. Yeah, it's um,
1: it's uh, this kind of medieval anachronistic setting, uh, which is the castle part. But then also, we bring very much a punk intention to bear on it, uh, with the idea like inspire or, uh, you know, the original cyberpunk or hardwired island that you know you're here to, uh
2: you're here to be political in some sense of the word mm-hmm. we're, we're getting games now that are not just punk is a set dressing it is the actual intention of the phrase punk
0: <laughs> we have I, an actual ideology that we want to kind of talk about right with mm-hmm. us mm-hmm. Um, Which is and yeah that's same. awesome and one that um uh works uh really well so like i guess um I really like vampires as villains, especially now in like modern games. So I guess like, uh um, cause like, obviously as like r- it, as a Robin Hood game, it, this is a game that could just very easily be a, you know, you're just fighting against the, the local feudal lords who aren't necessarily, you know, who are just doing the same extractive practices that normal feudal lords do or mm-hmm. normal like capitalists do um but why why settle on vampires so just like they're you know i guess like more evocative and
1: um the joke is that it's a metaphor that it's not a metaphor right yeah
0: yeah that's <laughs> that is the thing about vampires
1: the idea is that like i don't know i'm i'm a big fan of uh vampire fiction um mm-hmm. you know going back to some of my earliest role playing experiences were you know vampire the masquerade vampire the Requiem. um Yeah, And there's always kind of that conflict there um, between, you know, the idea of, you know, what what exactly do vampires represent? And, you know, you've seen them kind of represent addiction, or you can have them represent kind of um, basically people who do things that they don't want to do. uh, Villainy that you're like incapable of resisting because it's inherent to yourself or Mm -hmm. something like that. Mm -hmm um but by the time i started to work on brinkwood um i was i was influenced by a few movies um, the movie daywalkers for example mm. <laughs> um and uh I, you know to a lesser extent blade um where the idea is very much that uh vampires are just straight up uh, you know a uh, a metaphor for capitalism um and i personally see a lot of parallels between the way vampirism kind of justifies itself or like the way the rules of it to kind of how capitalism justifies itself i've i've yeah. been very intentional in making some adjustments to like the traditional vampire lore where like it's not something you're forced into it's something you're capable of leaving at every time at any time but in order to do so you have to give up you know hurting people essentially Mm -hmm. um as for like the more meta reasons for it uh it really comes down to like the idea of like a metaphor that isn't a metaphor because i want people who maybe aren't 100 percent on board with my politics uh to like be at least drawn in by the premise and maybe like think about it for half a second and then be like Mm -hmm. oh i see what's going on here um (laughs) So yeah, it's it's kind of a it, it cuts both ways, right? Where right. it wants to, I want to draw people in, but I also want to make it very clear what it is we're actually talking about. Exactly.
0: <laughs> mm-hmm. And I mean, I think that is a thing that I I don't like. Um, I don't know, like now more than ever, I, I think we're we've hit a point where like uh, the the contradictions are showing. Um and the, <laughs> the wheels though. are coming
1: off. <laughs> yeah, the wheels are coming Man.
0: off. It's the the illusion is is fading a little bit. And has we got boats caught in the life, Suez
2: last the uh, 20
0: years or so. Almost. Yeah. our
2: generation keeps going through a once in a generation incident every couple of months. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's just
1: all crisis all the time. Yeah. yeah. yeah.
0: Oh, uh, yeah. So that's part of the uh, appeal of games. these
2: is when you can actually go to come of control. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. By tearing down terrible systems.
0: Yep. And and that's what you do. And that's the other thing that I also like about, I guess, in Brinkwood, because like, especially as a transition from like previous kind of blades in the, or Forged in the Dark games where you're a bunch of scoundrels and uh, characters who are doing kind of... There's a, there's like, because you're like also building up a, re, uh, a revolution and also trying to do things like build up, you know, collectively organized to kind of build up, uh, Resistance. uh, what's the word class consciousness and, mm-hmm. and the local townsfolk in, um, in the, uh, it's the Crimson Isles, I believe, or, uh, what's yeah. the name of the, uh, the setting?
1: The Bloody Isles.
0: The Bloody Isles. Um, yeah, so you're there's a lot of things that you that characters can do that is not just all just doing um murder hobo actions <laughs> as uh many player characters will do, and plus like the other thing is that, like, given that you're you're fighting against a system that uh will does not you know views any kind of threat to its power, uh, will you know meet back, meet that violence you know, meet that kind of resistance twofold, uh, there's still a good opportunity to do murder stuff.
1: Right. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. The, the, the joke is that like every foray in Brinkwood, like either ends with you kidnapping someone or murdering someone. Um, (laughs) because like at the end of the day, like, uh, something needs to change in a given situation. Um, whether that be, you know, some, you need to have a stern talking to with someone or someone just needs to not be sucking blood anymore. You know, that kind of mm-hmm. varies from situation to situation. But there are, yeah, there are lots of opportunities for just like um, talking to people and, you know, finding out what they need and what's actually going to make a difference for them in their lives. Um there's lots of opportunities for kind of uh that sort of intrigue role playing that uh blades in the dark kind of hints at but uh isn't as fully fleshed out where like you know you're going to masquerade balls and you're trading witty barbs with your enemies and you're Mm -hmm. gathering intelligence and you're you know planting double agents and all that sort of good fun stuff (laughs) so yeah it's not it's not all murder hoboing it's Mm -hmm. uh there there's lots to do
0: (laughs) yeah and also your your the the fey that uh your group that's your group's patron also kind of colors what the group's approach is going to be right right Um, yeah that
1: yeah it it kind of it it works on a couple different angles where um the fey kind of sets the the at least the initial tone of like what they expect of you um and also kind of what your group is good at. So it's like when you have crews and blades in the dark where, you know, you have assassins or cultists or, you know, mercenaries or thieves. Um, You have these different courts of Fae. Um, The thing I really like about it is it's very flexible in that, like you aren't like kind of like pigeonholed into one role. Um, Not that you necessarily are in blades in the dark, but like, all of the Fae kind of have the presence of mind to realize that like, you know, you aren't just going to be able to do their one thing. Mm -hmm. Um, And also each one is kind of modeled after a different um, theory of revolution that I'm familiar with. Mm -hmm. Um, So you have uh, the Fae of Winter who are um, kind of a theory of like historical progress, where no matter what, like, the revolution is coming. Like, you can speed it up, you can slow it down, but, like, history marches on, and history will eventually get us to where we need to be. Mm-hmm. So their stuff is all very long-term. You know, it's like, it's talking to kids so they'll grow up with class consciousness. It's educating peasants so that, you know, they'll be able to... Uh, um, you know, have the tools of reading and writing and that sort of thing to, like, educate themselves and educate their children. It's, you know, organizing and, like, writing books and, like, kind of doing more long-term planning. Um, and it's, like, you know, kind of subtly infiltrating institutions of power and those sorts of things. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas on the other hand of the spectrum, you have uh, the spring and summer courts, Where I think Spring um, is all about kind of modeling after um, decolonial revolution, where the idea is like to kind of take um, power directly into the hands of the people who like live in an area. Um, So it's all about, um, you know, taking individual villages and towns uh, and basically going to them and being like, okay, here... We're going to knock out, you know, whoever's oppressing you and we're going to do our best to protect you. But, you know, you need to step up to the plate and you need to, Mm -hmm. um, you know, kind of for you need to take power for yourselves. Mm -hmm. Um, And the summer court is kind of more um, about kind of like direct revolutionary action where you're going after like big institutions of power and you're going after a kind of a top down approach where Mm -hmm. you're kind of building up to big climactic battles with the intent that you're going to be, you know, kind of building your own kind of separate parallel um, government body, separate army, separate society in parallel that will eventually overtake uh, in direct confrontation. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, so there's like different kind of approaches um, there. That are a little more esoteric, esoteric, and like campaign level, but there's also like kind of direct impact where, you know, the winter court is uh, going to be having you focus more on like stealth missions and thievery and that sort of thing. Um, whereas, you know, if you're summer and spring, you might be doing more negotiation, um, you know, direct raids and attacks, assassinations, that sort of thing. Um, so yeah, so it's both kind of a macro and a micro level to it, and
0: all and all these these four uh, these four like theories of revolution they're all you know facets of the same thing, and right you can't necessarily like you know you can't necessarily like exclude one completely. Mm-hmm. Um, they all kind of work together and uh, feed into each other. Um, right,
1: Yeah, it's it's about priorities rather than about an idea of like what is required, like everything is required. You know, what do we start with?
0: Mm -hmm. Uh, Awesome. Uh, So, yeah. Um, And then you also, uh, the player character group also designs their own Fae patron. um, Mm -hmm. Right. So you can, could you describe that kind of process? Yeah. Uh, Like how the, the session zero for how the characters get together to form their, uh, I guess like revolutionary cell.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, so it starts uh, with a game, uh, kind of a mini game within a game. Uh, it's based on um, uh, a game called Exquisite Corpse, um, which is I think either like it's kind of just like a writing exercise or a writing game where yeah, the
0: data kind of yeah you just kind of like uh, combine a bunch of like. Right. Like cut ups and stuff.
1: Yeah, you, you're basically taking different parts and like putting them together. Um, so, how it works is there's like a series of questions, and uh, each player will write an answer to a question, pass it to the next player, who will then write another answer to another question based on the answer to the first question. It's a little hard to explain without like vigil aids, but the idea is that you're kind of assembling something without seeing the entire picture all at once, but seeing some of what everyone else is working on. And then once you finish that, you have you know this character that you've essentially built together, um, both in their appearance and also uh, kind of their philosophy and their personality as well.
0: Yeah, cool. Uh, very cool. Um, and then also, I guess, uh, then we can also talk a little bit about the, the player characters of Brinkwood. So, um, I guess, like, how does Br- play, uh, Brinkwood kind of differ from kind of the previous uh, Forge in the Dark games um, as, in terms of, like, the player characters?
1: Mm-hmm. Um, so, typical Forge in the Dark games, um, you start with a, a playbook that mm-hmm. kind of has your archetype as a character, um, and uh, you kind of make choices based on that um, to kind of build out your character's abilities and their personality and things like that. Um, what I did was I essentially took the standard playbook and broke it in half, uh, where one half you have the background sheet, which is everything about your character as a person. So, you know, their personal skills, uh, where they come from, uh, what kind of like culture they were raised in. You know, what was their job before they became a revolutionary? Um, What is their kind of like place in society, that sort of thing. Um, And, you know, kind of how they view themselves is one half. And then the other half, which is um, kind of the more special abilities um, and kind of the fancier stuff that usually goes on a Brinkwood playbook sheet, um, is on the mask, uh, which is a separate sheet entirely. And the nice thing about that is each mask is very closely themed to, like, kind of a style of play, um, whether or not you're, you know, kind of being sneaky, um, or, you know, you're being more social, or you're being more aggressive, or more physical, or more violent. Um, And because masks um, are tied to a sheet and not a single player you can essentially trade them around between sessions and between scores so you're not stuck you know just being the heavy every single time or you're not stuck just being the face because i found a lot when i played blades in the dark games there would always come a point where a player would come to me and be like okay yeah i I, you know i had a lot of fun with this character but you know i kind of want to try something completely different so they're gonna, sure. you know, exit stage left, and I'm gonna bring on this new character. And I thought that was, you know, fine. And you know, yeah. I, I still encourage people to do that in Brinkwood. Like we have rules for retirement and that sort of thing. But the other sense, like, I think that's cool just to do almost on a session to session basis, and mm-hmm. uh, you know, have that chance to experiment and try other things out. Um, the cool thing that I really wasn't expecting that kind of grew out of it is that people kind of developed relationships with the masks, both as players and as their characters. Like when I've had players who like, they put on a mask and they just cannot roll to save their lives. And they're just like, (laughs) Oh, this mask hates me. You know, this mask and I do not get along at all. You know, every time I have to use this mask, they fuck me over you know, and, or like they put on a mask and, you know, everything goes right for them and they just sail on through and they're like, oh man, I love this mask. And, you know, I'm going to keep using it. Or like, you know, this, this one has this really cool ability and that sort of thing. And because um, there are like kind of narrative and mechanical things that encourage you to interact with your mask in this way that is sometimes Maybe not an antagonistic, but like in a way that's like kind of almost like a rivalry, or like to ha- to have a back and forth with your mask. Um, mm-hmm. I think it creates this cool sense of like you know the masks themselves kind of become characters in right. addition to the characters you're running.
2: Nice.
0: Yeah, very cool. Um, and I guess there are uh, there are seven masks now, and I, this was kind of something when I was reading the the. Uh, I guess like a pre uh, layout document that I was a little confused on does each group. Is it basically like, cause there are seven mask types as listed. Mm -hmm. Does it mean that like, there are only seven in like the player group, um, but they like, you know, they get shifted around or do you like, uh, can you basically like, do you have like basically a kind of a theoretical, like kind of a Heisenberg-esque closet of masks that you can kind of pull in and introduce Uh,
1: it's um it kind of varies from play group to play because um they we do have these kind of like seven masks and how i usually play it is that um these masks stay consistent between sessions um but like you have you have these seven right from the get-go and you can develop them however you like um i've had people tell me that what they choose to do instead is say like every player chooses one mask at the start and then you unlock more through like different missions or as kind of like rewards for quests or uh, things like that, which I think is really cool. Um, I think there's also kind of like a theoretical, there, there is no like theoretical limit on masks. So, you know, if you're a hacker yourself or, you know, if there's, uh, what I'm hoping for is you know people release you know more content for Brinkwood. Uh, you know there's other masks that can be introduced into your game uh, or other masks you can make uh, and introduce to your game. Um, so, yeah, so it's kind of this interesting thing where you can I think it's balanced either way. Um, whether you choose to kind of like go wide and like have all the masks available to you and like just change between them however you like or if you want to like focus on a few and like really develop them up. Because if you focus on a few, they'll get stronger. But if you go wide, you'll have a lot more options. Mm-hmm.
0: Does that kind of answer your question? Uh, that does answer my question. Um, and I guess that also leads into another kind of part of that, because uh, you mentioned that you kind of split the playbooks in half, which mm-hmm. into the masks and the the background set. So I guess like then my question is, like, Really, without the mask, like overall, like characters are pr- perhaps maybe a little weaker compared mm-hmm. to say uh, player characters and like other. Uh, oh, definitely. From the Dark Apes, yeah, yeah.
1: Um, I would say it it, it is it, it forms kind of a natural tension in the game where you really like aren't anyone special until you put on your mask. Mm-hmm. So it's always this question in the session, like when are you going to put it on. You know, because there are advantages to leaving it off. Like you know, you, you you're less visible. You're less. You know, it, it's very obvious who you are once you put on the mask, mm-hmm. or it's very obvious what you're there to do. You know, so you I've we I've run sessions where people go pretty much the entire session without putting on a mask, or like just do it right at the end for a really quick thing. Um, and I've had some where you know they start you know, right from the jump, put on the mask, yeah. it's go time. Um, but yeah, it, it forms that kind of interesting push and pull where you can try and kind of rely on your own abilities and, you know, yourself without the mask for a while. But, you know, if you want to do something truly crazy or truly impressive, it's mm-hmm. you're probably going to need a mask.
0: And there are some downsides to using the mask too, because they're the, uh, are like the oaths and, um, mm-hmm. So I guess could you kind of explain those a little bit?
1: Yeah, the idea is that um, to kind of power the masks, you need to basically promise it things. Um, and it's usually nothing like, uh, nothing like hostile to your objectives. It's more about like intensity Um, or it's about like basically committing to what you say you commit to. So you have these things called packs, right? Uh that you determine for your character right from the get-go, like Mm -hmm. the pact of industry, the pact uh of vengeance, the pact of justice, and they kind of outline these general Mm -hmm. principles of like why you became a revolutionary. You know, the pact of vengeance means you're out for vengeance, you're here to get revenge. Uh and if you swear an oath on the pact of vengeance, you know, you're gonna. You need to get revenge in order to satisfy that oath. Um, and uh, as contrast with like the Pact of Beauty, uh, your pact is to try and improve things, to make things better in the world, uh, to you know help people, uh, uh, roses as well as bread, that sort of thing. Um, so there's a, there's a different energy to what you're trying to do when you swear an oath on that. And swearing those oaths kind of unlocks the mask's abilities. um, It makes them more powerful. It fuels them. um, But at the same time, you know, there's a downside if you break the oath or if you, you know, fail to honor it. Um, So, you know, if you don't want to worry about, you know, uh, dealing with your oath during a session or like, you know, I've had people be like, oh, there's, there's no way I can make... Uh, things beautiful we're just we're just going into a camp and you know uh we're just going into like a fortress and blowing up i don't think i can do beauty you know that sort of thing mm-hmm. uh so there is so there are definite like uh, there there's pluses and minuses and there's kind of like a conflict and a decision to be made mm-hmm. whenever you put on the mask
2: And also some great opportunities for role play for the players to figure out how to make those promises. Exactly.
0: Um, I think what's also very interesting is um, I guess like um, by kind of like weakening the players or kind of splitting the player characters into kind of one half being the you know kind of normal people who are now uh, kind of quickly learning to become revolutionaries and the other half of their character sheet being these kind of magical artifacts that are kind of a shared resource among the revolution I think I kind of like you're emphasizing not so much about the you're not focusing as much on like the specific characters so much as the the, you know shared revolutionary struggle right
1: yeah well my intent was because, like, there there is certainly, like, an emphasis uh, on the characters as people and, like, you know, uh, what it means to be a revolutionary. Um, but in terms of, like, the power and where your power comes from, uh, the idea is very much that, like, it is not you, – you don't have something inherent to you that makes you special as a character. It's that you are willing to go the extra mile, that you're willing – to put on the mask, to Mm -hmm. take the risks that need to be taken. Mm -hmm. Um, It's very much in contrast to kind of like a great man theory of history Mm -hmm. where the idea is like, you know, if this, if it wasn't you, it would be someone else probably, but it's still significant that it's you. You're still making decisions. You know, it's still, you know, cool that it's you, but Mm -hmm. you aren't, you know,
0: There's nothing necessarily special about you. Right. Like the Mm -hmm. fact that you're doing this thing. Exactly. And also that you're not going to be the only one doing this thing. Exactly. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so uh, I guess then the campaign goal uh, for Brinkwood um, as, as a player group is you're going to be building up your kind of revolution and uh, you have like kind of a, um, I know in like kind of the system you have like a certain a s a certain amount of like established ranks for uh mm-hmm. when you're you're basically more or less at a, at a rival level of power with the uh vampires that are kind of uh colonizing the uh the bloody isles, right? hmm
1: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, there's kind of like three categories of like power that I uh use to like kind of track and illustrate where you are next to the vampires um, where you've got influence uh, which kind of measures your level of like infiltration but also like informational organization so just like how good your messengers are how much the people are aware of what's going on and are aware of you and like aware uh, that you're actually here to help them. So it's like, you know, contra- uh, contradicting propaganda that's used against you. It's, mm-hmm. you know, spreading knowledge of what the vampires are actually doing and vampiric weaknesses, that sort of thing. And it's also, you know, placing double agents and, you know, placing spies and that sort of thing. Um, organization is all about kind of like the raw logistics of organizing a society. So it's, you know, stuff like, Building up grain stores, building up um, methods of uh, moving resources from one place to another, whether that be smuggling or you know uh, some form of trade, um, and it's also like you know your kind of industrial and agricultural capability as you take on you know more villages that are that you know can produce you know grain and food, uh, or you know if you take cities. That have industries that are valuable or to the war effort, that sort of thing, that'll impact your organization. Um, and finally, force, which just uh, represents how much uh, kind of military power you can bring to bear. Uh, so it kind of ranges from both like your capabilities as like a guerrilla fighting force, all the way up to essentially being a conventional military in your own right. Where, you know, if you have, like, weapons and arms on on par with uh, the vampires, uh, how Mm well-trained your soldiers are, how well-trained just, like, the average person is. Um, Because kind of a central theme is that the idea that uh, the Bloody Isles used to be somewhat, not militarized, but, like, more capable of self-defense. Like, everyone was trained from an early age how to use a longbow. Um, before mm-hmm. the vampires came. And uh, it, as you start to undo, undo kind of the vampiric suppression of like, you know, archery and, uh, you know, bow making and that sort of thing, those sorts of things come back and people are more capable of defending themselves against vampires. Um, and each one of these, depending on how high you develop them, kind of leads to a specific end game scenario. Um, that I kind of outline uh, at the end of the manual uh, and kind of outlines kind of your final objectives where, you know, if you've got really high influence, you've pretty much made it so that the vampires are unable to trust one another and it breaks out into all-out civil war between them um, because there's so many cracks in the power structure and so much... Kind of like doubt and intrigue that they turn on each other, and it's all about uh, the end game. There is all about kind of you know positioning the vampires against each other and kind of being the one that comes out on top. Uh, as an example,
0: <laughs> yeah, awesome. Um, and you also have uh, you also have factions that you can court and uh, kind of gain influence with, and and Brinkwood as well, as as also in a lot of other games where they really like to uh play a lot of factional games so uh mm-hmm. how does um how, how do you what i guess like in in, in regards to that uh, in your like in in brinkwood's factions how do they differ from kind of like previous the previous way that like factions have been organized in like blades of the dark or uh scum and villainy or and mm-hmm. you know what ways have you uh changed them up
1: mm-hmm. uh well, so in most Blades in the Dark games, uh, the factions kind of kind of run the gamut between potential allies to like potential targets, um, mm-hmm. where like you know you're never quite sure whose side is on whose side, and you know you could be robbing someone today and teaming up with them tomorrow. Um, and
0: everyone's kind of doing their own thing too.
1: Exactly. Yeah. Uh, for this, it's more that you're looking at. The different factions of a revolutionary struggle, and also the factions that have kind of existed in opposition to the vampires before you showed up. So, you're at worst case, you're going to have like a slightly rivalry ish relationship with them or like a neutral relationship. But for the most part, the factions are there for you to interact positively with. Um, and it's all about kind of building them up. And also, like, kind of, they they help you if you help them, kind of. And each of them has their own kind of objectives. They're all still kind of very much doing their own thing, and they all have their own kind of plans for uh, the bloody isles after you know you take power. But uh, it's all about kind of deciding when you're interacting with factions. You're deciding both why you want to help them, how you're going to help them, and like if you're going to kind of try and integrate them into your greater rebellion, your greater, greater cause, uh, in which case, you know, they'll expect more of you, but they'll also provide more to you and they'll kind of be a foundational element of, uh, building whatever society comes after your rebellion succeeds.
0: Okay, cool. And then you can also play the, uh, the, the negative faction games with the vampires as leechy or, each of your vampire lords also has like a a low, you know, a lower structure of kind of uh, uh, lords and, um, you know, just kind of generic, like local powers um, Mm -hmm. that you can also that, you know, are. I I think you like provide a good amount of those in the, in the the rule book as well as also just like giving kind of the basic outline for Mm -hmm. the, you know, the lone fangs and uh, all the various kind of, low-level functionaries that, you know, a colonial government needs Mm -hmm. and, you know, that are uh, Achilles heels for a revolutionary group to kind of exploit.
1: Right, exactly. Yeah, Mm -hmm. on the vampire side of things, you have both kind of like their servants, which are kind of like more uh, almost like Not generic, but like kind of generic enemy types, like types of enemies and types of like monsters that you'll usually be fighting or dealing with on a regular basis. And they also have kind of these vampiric lieutenants, these minor lords and ladies who you know, have their own schemes and they have their own plans going on. Some of which, sh- some of which might contradict with each other, some of which means that they can be kind of like turned against each other, or turned against their Lord, um, or, you know, done away with in a variety of creative ways where, <laughs> so you can still kind of play some of those faction games there, um, with the overall idea of being like, you know, at the end of the day, like none of these people are your friends. So, you're yeah. probably going to have to deal, do away with them. But the joke, the joke that gets brought up, got brought up in playtesting is like, you know, if you can't, if you can't make friends with a vampire, uh, kidnap their kid and make friends with them instead.
0: <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Um, awesome. And then also, though, all those lieutenants and, and lower monsters all are, are also, uh, kind of themed appropriate to each lord, too. So that they're kind of, Mm-hmm. Uh, you know it, in theme with whatever uh kind of aspect of this uh horrible colonial government your campaign wants to focus on exactly yeah definitely yeah um all right awesome um i guess uh i have a couple of other uh questions so one you're also this is also being uh partially or i guess like fully involved with the uh the san janeiro co-op so mm-hmm. could you talk about that um talk about your work. What is this organization and yeah, how did you sure. get involved with them?
1: Um, so, yeah, so I got involved um, pretty in kind of the early days um, back when all you really needed was like an invite to the discord. Uh, we weren't really <laughs> official, not that we're that official now. Um, and basically we're a group of kind of like-minded designers, uh, publishers, artists, writers, um, who came together, um, principally, to try and r- retain control over our work, and also uh, our working conditions and our, kind of our pay structures. Um, so, you know, we we all we exercised like democratic control over the project. You know, anyone can kind of raise a vote uh, about any aspect of the of the projects that we work on. Um, we try and keep uh, leadership as horizontal as possible, um, and we—it's—we it, usually do some form of profit sharing, or you know, mm-hmm. some equitable destri- distribution of pay that is democratically agreed to by the people who are actually doing the work. So it's about—it's it, really games made by the people actually making the games having control over the games and how they're made, both from a financial standpoint to a marketing standpoint, all the way to kind of a production standpoint.
0: Yeah. And you've, you guys, I guess have, uh, um, and this co-op also has like, I guess, uh, books of kind of like mini games or kind of like two or, you know, two or three page RPGs, mm-hmm. uh, that you can, you know, go look up and, uh, yeah, yeah buy
1: yeah, we have digests that are um, basically, yeah, collections of usually shorter RPGs. Sometimes we do longer ones um, that are collected together in kind of a digest format uh, into a book, usually themed around some common theme like uh, science fiction or horror, that sort of mm-hmm. thing. Um, a nice thing there is you get kind of a smorgasbord of different uh, games to try out um, and you know find something that works for you. So, you know... If someone ever comes to me and says, "Oh, you know, I I really want to do a sci-fi game, but I'm really not sure, you know, what I want to play. You know, do you have recommendations?" I say, "Well, go pick up a digest, you know, and just mm-hmm. you know, it won't take you t- take you that long to skim through it and find one that you probably like, um, which is which is nice. Um, yeah, and usually, at least for some of them, you know, you can also go on itch.io and find kind of expanded versions of the digest games as well. Sometimes.
0: All right, really cool.
2: And then that kind um, of spilled over into the Kickstarter because the stretch goals mm-hmm. ended up being a lot of those kind of similar mini games, not or alternate settings for Brinkwood, right?
1: Exactly. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, it's a lot of a lot of the alternate content we um, we were able to do uh, was kind of this similar thing of like, yeah, we uh, introduced new mechanics, um, new settings. Um, New kind of like places and ways to set your game or ways to modify your game and that sort. Of thing. Uh, so I'm really excited mm-hmm. about all those as well. We've got some we've got some really talented people working on them um, and really, really creative and varied. Settings, everything from you know, kind of like a more cyberpunk version, to one that's like set in the Mexican Revolution, all the way to one that's like based around the Warped Tour of like the early two thousands, late
2: nineties. I uh, desperately want to play the scene is dead. long with the scene, I'm not going to lie. Yeah.
1: <laughs>
2: it's Ali, Ali did a just a bang
1: up job with it. It's so much fun. Um, I'm I'm really looking forward to its release uh yeah i think a lot of people are gonna are the, the fun thing i get to say now is like even if brinkwood doesn't sound good to you how i've described it like chances are there's a setting that you want to play
0: <laughs> yeah there's jane austen vampire slaying there's uh 60s cyberpunk there's um a uh, game where you're playing as the fae in the last kind of uh the last few uh you know battles before they have to retreat back to the woods uh, mm-hmm. and then also one that I, I the one that i'm uh the most fascinated by is the uh the refuge game the belonging outside belonging uh mm-hmm. game so could you uh talk about that a little bit
1: yeah sure so uh the, i think the game you mentioned just before about that was in the face of our despair um which is uh I always blank on, I think, Trophy. Yeah, it's based on Trophy. Uh, both games are made by uh, Jemmy uh, Najani. Uh, I always mess up her last name, uh, their last name. I apologize. Uh, temporal Hiccup on Twitter. Um, and In the Face of Our Despair is, like you said, Like you're kind of playing the Fae as they retreat into the forests as kind of like a prequel to Brinkwood. Uh, and Refuge is kind of a parallel belonging outside belonging game Where you're either. You can play it alongside Brinkwood and play as your characters from Brinkwood in Refuge, or you can play as kind of like um, characters that would be background characters in a Brinkwood game, um, but uh, are kind of like highlighted in Refuge. Um, Brinkwood is by virtue of the system, kind of a very action focused game. And it's very focused on like, you know, mm-hmm. going out there and doing stuff. Whereas refuge is kind of like slows the pace down a bit and gives you the chance to kind of like live in a revolutionary struggle and kind of deal more with the day to day, but also kind of like all the, you know, cool magical parts of living in this, you know, crazy forest refuge with these fae. um, you know, kind of develop all these different aspects of the revolution. It's fun because each character in refuge, you play a character, but you also play kind of a part of the refuge as well, um, where, you know, you'll play uh, kind of uh, a keeper who records the lore of, you know, your settlement. But you'll also play as the library itself, you know, or, you know, you'll play as the hearth and you'll kind of have these different setting elements. Um, Belonging Outside Belonging is a GM-less game, so I really like how it divides up kind of both narrative authority as well as kind of like responsibility for uh, developing different aspects of the game based on kind of which location you play as or location you control narratively. Um, yeah, uh, it's it's a really cool game. Um, mm-hmm. I really like that it gives people the chance to experience Brinkwood, you know, especially if you're not really into like, uh, Forge in the Dark games or, you know, you want to play something that's a little more introspective and a little more, you know, social. Um, I think it kind of lets you play in the same setting. Um, it also, if you're playing it alongside Brinkwood, um, it lets you kind of have these extended downtimes, where you can take a kind of a break from the action and like really focus on the character development and the role playing um and kind of like the impact that uh the the forays the missions that you're doing in Brinkwood are having on the refuge.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Really awesome like establish that community aspect. Exactly.
0: Yeah. Uh yeah, so um I guess that's more or less all of my questions. Um, Greg, do you have anything you wanted to uh, ask, Eric? Uh,
2: nothing in particular, because I think you're pretty thorough. Just uh, there's a lot to be excited with, with Brinkwood. And I think we're, mm-hmm. at, at least both of us, are very looking forward to its release coming soon. Excellent. Great. Yeah, thank you guys so much for having me. I had a,
1: had a great time talking to you about this. It's, uh, it's always fun to, to chat with people that, Get Frankwood uh,
0: conceptually. <laughs> yeah, I. Uh, I mean, it, it reminds me a lot of Nice Black Agents, and again, that's that's kind of how I got uh, got into it and kind of first heard about it. Mm-hmm. Um, one is because I'm a. a di- I like games where that have uh, were I like kind of games that were like the players are kind of a, at an asymmetrical weakness, and they have to kind of mm-hmm. play smart and play uh yeah do a bunch of different strategies to kind of overcome a more uh over overpowering uh foe I think those are kind of more engaging uh games than you know just walking in with your your uh you know plus three bonuses and just think that it's easy to kinda get bored or you know zone out during those games whereas stuff where it's a little bit more. Where the uh, the dangers a little bit more apparent, but you know it's possible to overcome it uh, with a good strategy and some luck. I think mm-hmm. those are uh, those make make for more engaging games.
1: Yeah, I noticed you guys were playing Red Markets, which was another <laughs> yes. inspiration for me, and I was wondering if you if you picked up on any of those parallels. <laughs> Certainly
0: have. Oh yeah, um,
2: <laughs> our podcast is born of Red Markets. So, yeah, <laughs> uh, definitely <laughs> noticed that aspect of. Trying to overcome something that at times just seems insurmountable, whether in Red Markets it's the zombie apocalypse or in Brinkwood the vampiric overlords, but in both things you have things that can help give you a fighting chance. Yep, yeah. exactly. Exactly.
0: I think I was. I didn't uh, necessarily connect as much with Red Markets because Red Markets is more focused on. It's not. Red Markets is is not a revolutionary game. It's a game That's about. True. <laughs> you got you specific people trying to get out of this awful situation. It, it is right. revolutionary
2: that it's saying the quiet part out loud. Which yeah, it's it, what Brinkwood it does.
0: Is, yeah, it, it is. Um, it is. It is like uh, talking about that. Uh, you know, the causes of why you're in this awful situation a lot, but, um, the solution is different. Definitely. (laughs) Yeah. The solution is different and it's, it's more uh, smaller scale, though. I I guess like you very much could make a revolutionary red markets game. Mm -hmm. In fact, uh, somewhat should pitch a (laughs) supplement to Caleb. (laughs) I think actually, (laughs) I guess more rules. Uh, I think those will probably kind of come into that.
2: but, uh, nice if people are more interested in Brinkwood or more interested in you, how would they go about finding it? Um, Yeah, I'm Eric the Barrick uh,
1: on Twitter. You can also just go to Brinkwood.net, which links to wherever Brinkwood is at any given moment, Um, whether it be, I think it links right now to like our pre-order page um, and eventually it will lead to the actual like storefront page. Um, And uh, yeah, you can find me, Eric the Barrick, on Twitter uh, that's where I post most regularly um, if you're especially interested in uh, "In the face of our despair or refuge uh, definitely check out uh, Jammy at Temporal Hiccup on Twitter mm-hmm. um, and San Janeiro Co-op is uh, I think it's San Janeiro Co-op uh, on Twitter or like if you just search for that I'm sure it'll come up um, but yeah
0: yeah, we're all real excited about Brinkwood. Um, and yeah, this is a great talk.
2: Really great for you.
1: Excellent. Yeah. Great. Glad to be here. Thanks again so much.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're welcome. And we hope you enjoyed this listeners. Uh, so yeah, um uh good night internet.
2: Good night internet.